Hello and welcome to Safety FM. On today's episode, we interview Regina McMichaels, or you might know her as the Safety Ninja. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida, here is your host, Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Well, hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is the flagship show. Apparently, I need to start addressing this a little bit better because there has been some confusion between Safety FM, the radio station, and Safety FM, the podcast you're listening to right now. So a lot of people have asked me to give some name differentiation right there. So we will refer to this as Safety FM, the flagship show. This way, it might make it a little bit easier for some. Anyways, just wanted to share some information with you. You might have heard over the weekend, we did have a news story that came out that we are now featuring feature story news every hour on the top of the hour on the radio. So if you come to safetyfm.live or safetyfm.com forward slash listen now, the radio station is constantly streaming. You can also listen to us on the Alexa app. And we are a skill inside of the Alexa app. We're also available on the iOS and the Google Play Store. But what we're doing now is every hour at the top of the hour, so it, when it hits zero, zero, so at noon, one o'clock, so on, we will actually be featuring current news stories of what's going on around the world. And we actually partnered up with Feature Story News because they are known around the world for what they do. And they've been doing this for about 25 years or so. And we figured that they would be the best fit for us here at Safety FM. So please, if you do get the opportunity, take a listen to the radio station and enjoy the news at the top of the hour. Let me know what you think, how you're enjoying that so far. Also, this weekend, we have another show that actually we do air on a daily basis. And they are taking over the radio station for the whole weekend. So for all day Saturday and all day Sunday, it will be a rated R radio station for the whole weekend. So the rated R safety show will be taking over the radio station all weekend long. They will be airing, I believe they're up to 45 episodes. So they'll be airing all 45 episodes over the weekend. So if you do get a chance, take a listen to that, enjoy it, because I'm sure it'll be interesting. Also, if you're out and about this week, I am actually in Las Vegas at the Todd Conklin workshop that's taking place at the Hampton Inn off of Dean Martin. So if you are there, come by, stop by. Maybe we'll even record something together. You never know because I always bring this stuff with me. But let's get to the meat and potatoes on what's going on today. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Regina McMichaels. And as I said at the very beginning of this, you might know her as the Safety Ninja. She is everywhere to be found on social media. If you look anywhere and everywhere, you can find her if you're looking. Now, I will tell you that during the recording, we did have some problems where it did cut it and out. So hopefully we'll be able to correct some of that. But if you're not familiar with Regina McMichaels, she is the president of The Learning Factory. She has over 30 years experience in safety and health education, training, communication, and leadership. Regina teaches around the world and mentors safety professionals to achieve their dreams of becoming a safety training ninja. Oh yeah, you heard me correctly there. 
and a passionate professional. I have to tell you, she has such a great story that I don't even want to give you anything before we get it all started. I want you to hear it directly from her. So enjoy the interview here today with Regina McMichaels here on Safety FM, the flagship show. It begins in Orlando, Florida and travels steadily to the West, beaming across North America and planet Earth and into your head. The world of safety never stops. And now, the Safety FM podcast and broadcast with Dr. Jay Allen. Well, let's kind of go down that path if you don't mind me asking. So if you don't mind, can we start off where your journey started? And I know that there's there's some emotion to the story, but I want people to understand exactly what had occurred during the time frame. Wow. So there I was, uh, 20 years old. Uh, I had married um, the boy next door that I had been in love with since I was 10 years old. And I was uh, doing sales and he was working in construction and I get a phone call that he has fallen. And uh, they really can't tell me much else. And so a friend drives me to the hospital, which unfortunately was uh, quite far away from our home. And uh, it was in the D.C. area. And uh, we get there and wait patiently until the surgeon comes out and tells us they did all they could do. And so he fell uh, 25 feet, 11 inches off of a residential roof. And, uh, and he died. And I, uh, I started my career in safety at that moment, even though I didn't know it at the time. And, uh, you know, in the process, I uh, went through a you know, horrible experience with workers' comp, which I know it's hard to say, a, an awesome experience with workers' comp, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that bad. Uh, but it was 1986. That was a long time ago, and things have, things have improved, I believe. Uh, you know, I worked for an insurance carrier for, for seven years, so I don't hate them. I just think that, you know, there's ways that we can do things that have uh, more empathy and more humanity-based approaches than, than maybe how we did things in the 80s. So from the time frame that you actually find this information now that the person you're in love with has just all of a sudden fallen and they're, they've passed away, when do you start taking your safety journey? I know that you said you became a safety person then, but are you starting to do research and studies and work or how does this oh, come yeah. about? <laughs> I, I, I didn't, you know, at your 20, you don't really know who you are yet, um, but it, it, turn, <laughs> right. it turns out it's a pit bull. And uh, I just, I couldn't understand why he died he had been in the military you know he had he had lived an exciting teen life and i'm like how did you die on the job it just uh i don't know if that went in there so you'll cut it out you know how did he die on the job i just don't know how that 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 just wouldn't make sense to me i just couldn't process it and so i was like you know why did he fall uh and, and, I, and I went through a lot of, of really um, soul-wrenching stuff, like, was he conscious on the way down? Was he conscious when he landed? Did he ever, um, you know, wake up? Did he feel pain? There's a lot of, of that kind of stuff that you torture yourself with. But I really just wanted to learn um, the mechanics of what had happened. And so I start, um, you know, researching. We lived in the state of Virginia. Uh, he fell in the state of Maryland. The company was based in Virginia. So it was Maryland OSHA, but Virginia Workers Comp, um, which just makes it more fun. And, and so I, uh, you know, I was like, well, you know, what's going on? How did this work? How did this happen? I even found out that the company he worked for had done um, some some volunteer work and like a, not a habitat, but a, an equivalent kind of thing. And, uh, and they had actually even helped roof a house for a family in need and actually had video of 
the workers working uh, without fall protection, you know, in this video, the pitch of the roof was different. So the argument changed somewhat. But I mean, I got into it. I, I got police reports. I got autopsy reports. I read the OSHA regulations. I read the citations. I went to the site and took photos. I couldn't just accept it. It just, it wouldn't make sense. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And um, despite all of that um, process, you know, I was also going through the, the workers' comp experience, um, which because it wasn't so positive, ultimately I made a decision to settle for significantly less than what the state allowed uh, because um, it uh, it can kill your soul if you're, uh, if, if you're in it uh, too long and if it gets really ugly uh, unnecessarily. So I made a, a conscious decision at that time to just uh, take some money and, and finish. And it was certainly more money than I was accustomed to at 20 years old. Uh, and so I, uh, I did that. And my mother said, you need to go to college. And she nagged me until I agreed and how right she was. So... Uh, and so let me just ask right there, how many years are we talking about from when he passed away that you're actually going through this whole process? Um, I, I started the investigation process immediately and I started college within nine months. So because I just, uh, the, the workers comp thing back and forth, two or three letters a day. Uh, at the time in Virginia, there were some weird um, corollary, corollaries to the to the law. My attorney didn't even know what they were. The state couldn't tell us what they were, but they were being used they were being used against us or against me in order to come to an equitable settlement. And so it was just like, this is, this is crazy. So I just, you know, I, and, and then on top of it, um, you know, there was medical bills and then who was going to pay them and then, you know, having different States. So I started college, I think, uh, probably in September of that year. And he died in February. So and uh, I was just going to a local community college and I was just walking down the hallway one day and there, um, you know, attached to a bulletin board was um, various different universities and the programs that they offered. And there was one with this, you know, photocopy and a piece of string tied to a, a cork board and it said Bachelor of Science in Safety and Risk Administration. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And so I... I grabbed it up and I saw that there were, you know, classes on, in the curriculum for accident investigation. I'm like, oh, I've done that. <laughs> and it's like, oh, here's one on OSHA regs. I'm like, yep, got those nailed too. So I, <laughs> so I was like, hey. It's interesting, how it, it's interesting how it all starts, right? I mean, it's, do you have this catastrophic event that occurs and all of a sudden this is what leads you down it, the it path. Was, so you end up, you, you end up going to VCU yeah. if you don't mind. If that's, yes, that's it correct. is. It is. And unfortunately the program uh, dissolved shortly, um, shortly after I'd finished, but, uh, uh, I'm still in, I actually just recently saw one of the, my fellow students, despite how small the program is, I'm still in touch with a lot of the folks, but, um, but yeah, I got my degree in two years and 10 months and, uh, and finished with honors. And I, and I tell people, it's like, no, I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm brilliant or anything. It's just that everything made sense to me, you know, when they were like, this is what a safety program looks like. And this is the purpose of it. And this is how you, you look at management systems and, you know, this is how you investigate a fatality. And when you, you know, everything that they did, it just slid into place into my brain so easily. Uh, I think both because of the preparation and experience I'd already had, but also just a, just a, you know, vigorous desire to get out there and start working and to do something. 
Now, do you believe this, that what you had already experienced really helped you significantly going through oh, the absolutely. course? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I only recently just found out that apparently I knew that then. I knew that, you know, destiny had a game plan for me. Um, but I don't remember knowing it then, or at least I don't feel like I do now. And so uh, when I bumped into a colleague a while back, he goes, you haven't changed a bit. And I was like, I have. Well, I mean, I, I would imagine that you became an advocate. I mean, you are actually now pushing and driving safety. Strong yeah, I guess I just, um, I guess I just didn't really, I didn't see that I would have a national or international impact. I didn't see that I would write a book. I didn't see that I would inspire people. I just thought Regina had a thing she had to do. I didn't see myself into the larger scope of the industry and impact on the industry. And I think that's the part that's really been humbling uh, and also so so amazing is you know um you know he said he's like oh yeah you were gonna save the world and i'm like i said that and he goes yeah and i'm like dang i didn't know i had that going on yet so so i was <laughs> well i mean the, the the funny part about the whole thing is that if you take a look at this it's that you're not an overnight sensation this is a lot of work that you're doing i mean your name's everywhere <laughs> now and you know we're gonna get to the safety ninja moniker because i want to understand <laughs> about once we get there but but it's interesting because I, th there's nowhere that I go on social media that you don't pop up one way or oh. more. So, <laughs> so as you start going down the path, I noticed the first thing that you go into is Virginia DOT. And that is not a normal common path for most people. So how did you make the determination to go there? Because uh, they offered me a job. <laughs> <laughs> a good reason, I guess. That's a great reason. Yeah, so I uh, graduated from college and, uh, and you know, went through the, the, the usual, you know, interviews and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I... I lived between DC and Richmond so I could go either direction and uh, and it sounded exciting and interesting and uh, and it, it was amazing it was an amazing first job and I got to I got to go into confined spaces and trenches and I got to teach people how not to get hurt and 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 you know I was placed in, in unbelievably challenging situations for a for a 22 year old with with limited field experience uh, but I had I had some amazing mentors one of my mentors is now um, the deputy commissioner Commissioner for Vosch in the state of Virginia, and uh, so he's made it as high as one can in the uh, in the governmental positioning, and uh, so proud of him. But he was such a he was such a um, powerful, uplifting force in my life, and uh, just just a, a very good man who sees people and pushes them forward for goodness and um but yeah so i got to do really cool stuff in the dirt and got some great experience <laughs> and then somehow morphed into the trade association world where i that's when i started to have a national opportunity because i was working with so many uh, members uh, from around the country first with uh, the associated general contractors of america uh, and then I was recruited by the National Association of Home Builders to head up their safety program. Uh, and of course, that was a, a big mind blow for me because I, I ended up becoming the expert in residential fall protection in the nation. And I'm like, ooh, it wasn't really my game plan, but there it unfolded in front of me. And uh, so, you know, I did the best that I could with that and tried to think about both small business. I tried to think about, you know, when they were saying, oh, you got to do this and this and this. And I was like, would Kevin do that? Would my husband do that? And I'm thinking, no. So how, what do I need to do as, as a safety professional who's, uh, whose husband probably wouldn't have done that if he was still alive? How do I, how do I work with that? And so it wasn't really that angel devil on your shoulder thing, but, but I, I really did try to consider people like him 
you know, how do we get people like him to be safe? How do we connect them? And how do we provide a regulatory opportunity that will allow small employers to really do something? And it was not easy. <laughs> now, at this time, but at this time, how much pressure are you feeling on this? I mean, because I could imagine the amount of pressure that's coming in between the knowledge base, you were going through the experience of what had occurred and being kind of on both sides of the fence now, because you were on the one side of, you know, being the family member that your husband passed away. And now you're all of a sudden going out there and you're teaching people and saying, this is what needs to be done. This is how you need to take care of yourself. This is how these small businesses need to understand this. And then you all of a sudden you go to a national platform. How much is the pressure? The well, um, very little because no one knew my backstory. Um, so I wanted to be judged by what I did, uh, judged by the, um, the services I provided or the insight I was able to do or the leadership or, or humanity or whatever. And so I, uh, other than direct employers, you know, when someone made me a job offer, I always made sure that they knew my backstory, uh, just so there was no surprises, particularly the home builders. And so I, um, you know, I, I, I was not public with it. I actually, after the regulation went into effect and I was actually going to the OSHA training institute and I was actually going to train OSHA inspectors on how residential construction was done. And I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell my story. And I got there and I'm like, no, I'm not. And so it literally took 28 years before I went public. 20? Yeah, it wasn't a secret per se. It just didn't come mm-hmm. up in conversation. It's not how I started conversations because um, it, it it blows people away. And it's not as shocking now because there's there's some preface before I you know go into a room or, or speak to a speak to a group. But, you know, back then, particularly when I was still quite young, you know, if, I, if he'd only been dead three years and I told someone that, you know, it, it, it's a big burden on them. You know, they're like, what do I do with her? And so I just, you know, kind of kept it to, to people close to me and then people in the profession who truly needed to know in order to understand maybe, you know, some decision making that I have or some input that I have. But I don't think anybody at, uh, at OSHA knew or if anybody did, it was one or two people. I don't really recall, but it wasn't it wasn't a lot of the people that I worked with at the agency. They didn't know the details. And, uh, and most people I work with to this day, people I've known for 25, 30 years walk up and they're like, I didn't know that. I'm like, eh, I didn't bring it up in conversation very much. So <laughs> it is like, I'm t- and I'm saying it now to a national audience <laughs> and I've been saying this for a national audience. You didn't tell me, gee, how do I feel? Right. Say that again. Say that again. I'm sorry. The, the, the whole portion on how they felt in regards of you're saying it to a national audience. And they, that's really how they ended up finding out. I mean, I would. Yes. Imagine, in, right? in many cases. And it was, it, it was interesting because these, these longtime colleagues suddenly saw a, a different level of, um, of my commitment to the profession, but also I think a different level of empathy. They kind of understand a little bit differently, uh, perhaps what some of my motivations are. But it, it's also very interesting because I think certain people might assume that I will take a position or a perspective on the safety profession because of my history. And I've really kind of prided myself on trying to be uh, the best of all the best safety people, meaning, uh, yes, uh, you know, I was the wife left behind. Behind, but I also acknowledge that, you know, if the industry is behind on something, one company, it's very hard for one company to be the first one to do the very best. You know, I get that if, um, you know, you're. And we're speaking with Regina McMichael from The Learning Factory. Now, I noticed the next couple of positions that you have are 
pretty big positions. I mean, not saying that the other ones weren't, but all of a sudden now you're overseeing safety management for one organization and you're the president of the president there at that particular company. Then the next thing that you're dealing with is with a pretty big insurance carrier. <laughs> yes. And I had to think long and hard about so that how one. How does this come about? <laughs> um, so how does this go? How, how do you go from being on, a, then again, one side of the fence to another? How does that really work out in regards of what you're trying to accomplish now? Are you... Are you sharing your story once you get here or still you're still not there yet? Well, the insurance side, quite honestly, I had uh, had my own company for several years and then uh, had my son and really wanted some stability of the corporate world again uh, when he was very young. So I, uh, I actually relocated for an organization that didn't work out. And then I joined Zurich um, after I had about a year home with my son, which was awesome. And then uh, Zurich brought me on to kind of handle um, kind of broken things, special things, one-off things. So I did a lot of different things, but I was never one of those um, classic traditional risk engineers in the insurance perspective. But uh, that's where they really allowed me to grow my skill set as a training designer, developer, deliverer. And uh, I was able to work with a lot of our customer base. So, you know, working for insurance per se, yes, it was there and I understood all those concepts, but I didn't I didn't go out and do audits or go out there and do risk control evaluations like a classic insurance person would have. But I did get all the benefit of working for a large global organization that, uh, that you know, was really leading edge on a lot of concepts. And so I got to, because I got to work with the education of some of those things, I ended up becoming, because I've got past camera work experience and things like that, I was the spokesperson on a variety of topics, not because I was the expert, but because because I could do the camera work, basically. And uh, so that, that was kind of that was kind of funny. So I got, I got even more press on a national and international level, even though that wasn't my intention. But again, still nobody knew. You know, just just select individuals that needed to know in case in, in case something came up and and people wanted to know why I did something or, you know, I just I never thought it was appropriate not to share it with my boss. You know, just just in case I ever flipped out or something, which luckily didn't happen. Oh, wait, no, <laughs> no it did. <laughs> so I will ask the flip out question here in a moment. But how long? Why do you feel that you were holding back the story? Why do you feel that it took several years before you decided to share it? on a national scale? I, I think, I assume it was because it was still too raw. And, and I'm a big believer in kind of letting the universe uh, unfold in front of you. Uh, for me in my life, um, the times where I do best is where I stop trying to control things and I let what's supposed to happen, happen. And uh, it was, it was literally having lunch with someone I had just met. And by freak of chance, I share my story with him. I don't know why I did, but I did. And he looked at me and he goes, you got to tell that story. And I said, oh, you know, it's only been 28 years. I don't know yet. And he's like, no, he goes, we need you. He goes, there's, there's lots of people with lots of stories, but there's nobody with a story like yours. We got to have you out there. And I'm like, um, okay. So it took another two or three years before I actually, you know, got it done, got it out there, presented it for the first time kind of thing. Um, and it, it, it certainly was very scary. And because people even ask me, they're like, you know, how do you do that without crying? And I'm like, I don't talk about the crying things. You know, I, I've, I've, you know, it's a story that I tell that I have a very close connection to obviously but you you can't you know you can't get up there and start bawling about how you've been victimized or anything like that it has to be and it always has been about what I was supposed to do with the circumstance 
So, yeah, it took um, it took quite a, a few years, even after being encouraged by people in the industry to, to get out there. Um, you know, you had you have to figure out what you're going to say and what your purpose is. You know, it can't just be this happened to me. Don't let it happen to you. That that message is, is already out there. And uh, so I actually, you know, I worked quite a bit on um, professional development of how to become, you know, an uh, international grade speaker so that uh, I was able to truly help people because telling the story is one thing, but What's the real purpose? What am I doing here? What are we all doing here in this industry? And so it's it's evolved quite a bit uh, since I first started delivering it. My my first delivery was going to be with the National Safety Council uh, several years back, and out of nowhere, uh, a colleague called and says, "Oh, I've got this client, and they want somebody, and I think that thing you're going to do is the thing." And so I suddenly went from the first time I was going to deliver it was set for day X, and now all of a sudden I was delivering it four weeks earlier, about an hour from my home and I'm like okay <laughs> this is it <laughs> no pressure and, yeah and you know still a client to this day as well as a longtime friend uh you know professional ally colleague uh, and uh so you know I think I think the universe really brought us together on that but it was I, I think probably for me that very first one was a very young man who came up to me and he just looked at me and he goes he goes wow you know thank you that really meant a lot to hear that and uh and I think you really helped me and I'm like oh wow, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know what was going to happen. I just was kind of following what was laying out in front of me and an encouragement from professional colleagues and friends. And so when, when someone walks up to you and says, you helped me, and there might be a chance that, that they'll be safer because of something that you did, uh, that's pretty awesome. Well, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Like they always say, if you can influence at least one person, you're really going to be able to change them from that particular point on. And now that you're doing it at a national scale. Now, is it, before you get to this particular step, how long are we talking that you have the story completed and you're still at, at Zurich before you decide, I'm going to go step out on my own? So how many years are we talking while you're there? So I was I was with Zurich for seven eight years something like that, and uh, and really I you know my time there was done. They had been amazing about helping me develop uh, speaking skills, education and training skills. But um, I really felt something about getting back out on my own, and uh, and having done it before, you know I uh, I love the thrill of it, um, and uh, and essentially I had uh, one client that I'd worked with at Zurich. And he said something really profound to me. Uh, I had done a, pro- a training class for him through Zurich. And at the end of the class, he comes up to me and he goes, if Zurich isn't utilizing you for this every day, they're wasting your talent. And I looked at him and I said, that's either the best thing someone's ever said to me or the worst. <laughs> <laughs> right. You take it either way for sure. I know. And I'm like, oh. And, and that's when it was like, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I loved what I did and they were amazing and it was a great experience, but I needed to get back out and train more on a a global level, on a training professionals, not just the workforce like where I had started out in, but actually, you know, not the, if you could impact one person, but instead, if I could impact one person who has influence over many others, then I could maybe start to make the difference that I felt like I was supposed to be doing in this industry. So all of a sudden, 2011 comes about and you say, I'm going to take the risk on myself. Yep. And how I know that you've already taken this step in the past, but now you're doing it again. So how nervous are you at this time that all of a sudden (laughs) everything's lying on everything that has occurred to you till this point? And you're saying full force, 
I'm doing this. Yes. Well, luckily, the client who uh, said those fateful words to me had a gig. And important I said, there. Definitely yes. important. <laughs> and, and he says, I want you to come in and do something completely new. And I said, tell me when you get a budget. And literally, he texted me and he goes, it just got approved. And I gave notice the next day. And uh, and then, you know, poof, I was off um, delivering stuff all over the world for him. And, uh, and, and I have actually followed him as he goes to different companies. I go with him kind of thing as a consultant. Um, and yeah, he's been an amazing mentor that I've learned so much from. And uh, and he was always trying to encourage me to go, you know, this route or that route with my business. And, you know, I should monetize this or do this. And, and I kept going, those all sound really good, but I just don't think they're right. And it really wasn't until that gentleman said to me, you know, you need to take this thing all over. You need to take this thing on the road and tell your story. That was the first time I really thought about, you know, the story as part of my career game plan. I knew it was the driver for my future, you know, from, from 1986 on, but I never thought that I would bring it back to be a tool that could help others. So I, um, you know, nobody was more surprised than me, uh, much less the reactions for it. So I was, uh, I was pretty thrilled. So right now your normal audience that comes in and listens to the speech, what exactly are they? Are they normally just organizations that have a whole bunch of field workers in it? Or is it a bunch of safety professionals or is it a combination? Yes. <laughs> it, it is it is all of the above and more um so the 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 conversation that i have with them tailors somewhat for the audience so i've been hired by private organizations to you know i i one organization i went to i gave the talk 17 times in five days oh wow which if there's ever a question about how much is too much 17 times in five days is it and making um, it sound new every single time that you're saying it that is something that people have to learn it's a skill set it's not something that comes natural to most well and it, it is funny because there there are certainly speakers out there that um, memorize their materials and they say the same thing every single time but i i don't i really um, respond to the audience so if i see people responding to my words if i see people shaking their heads um you know if i see empathy uh in people's eyes or you know two people talking kind of like yeah that's right you know i i shift the message to match what i I see happening in the group and with 30 years of training and, and speaking experience, it's, it's a lot easier to read body language and kind of see that happening. So that's, that's very helpful. But I, um, yeah, I just, uh, I change it up. So, you know, if I'm at a chemical manufacturer, I'm going to try to make it relevant to what their work is. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I've talked with uh, the, the executives, the owners, the, the contact, whoever, whoever I'm working with to make sure that that message uh, will be unique and will drive home the company's position uh, on safety. Um, the great news is, is that most people who hire me, uh, because of what I talk about, they're ready to have those kind of tough conversations and say, yes, we're, we're all in. So I don't, I don't, I rarely get in a situation where I can't just, uh, you know, get out there and be me and the company goes, oh, please don't say it like that. We're not going to do that kind of thing. You know, I've been really lucky. Everybody I work with, they're totally on the same page of where I want to be. So that's a really good, important part that they're letting you be you because, as you know, sometimes people want to censor some of the information or how you might give the info. So was that something that kind of came built along or was that something that was inside of your writer when you were consulting with certain or not consulting doing speeches with certain organizations 
You know what? All of the times, so, so I actually hired a professional coach to help me craft my message uh, better. After I had done it maybe 10 times, I was like, you know, I could I could probably be better at this. It's, you know, I, you shouldn't assume that, that what you're delivering, even if it's a personal message, still resonates. So I, um, I actually hired a professional coach, made some really, really serious adjustments with that. And then on several occasions, I've had some clients who have specifically asked me to change the name or to change some of the deliverables and outputs, the call to action at the end. And, and I got to tell you, every time I've gotten requests like that, they've been right. They've been absolutely right. They know their people. They know their, their industry. And so over, you know, I've never given the same speech twice because it's constantly evolving. And, um, you know, the, the emphasis on the call to action at the end, because, again, I can, I can talk and I can say these stories and I can say, you know, safety is good and death is bad. But... What do the people walk out with? What inspiration do they take with them? How will they improve their work lives, their family lives, the choices that they've made in their careers? How can what I say help in any way possible? And, and it's, it's through clients and through conversations with, um, with uh, speaking agents and things like that that I get better. Uh, and I'm, I'm just happy that um, my story is not so personal that I take offense from it because I never have. I'm like, better is good. I'll take better. So how do we get to the point where they start calling you or referring to you as the safety ninja? I, when the moment I heard it, I was like, I need to understand. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, my son, when when I first started off and started my business again, I was meeting with a, uh, a colleague of mine and doing some business development work. And, you know, we were kind of framing up the kind of services I'd be offering and things like that. And I knew that uh, safety training, uh, train the trainer, that type of stuff was very much what I wanted to to pursue. And, um, and I said, you know, in the learning and development world, they have all these really cool titles. They have like guru and evangelist and, and, and maven. And I said, but I don't feel like any of those are right for me. And so we were kind of just goofing off. And I said, oh, I, you know, my son was like 10 or 11 or 12 or something. And I said, oh, you know what my son says, you know, anything that's cool and awesome and amazing is ninja. And she goes, the safety training ninja and I'm like, oh boy. And she goes, you could get away with that. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. So that, that was it. So I, I named the program that and certainly never expected to have a book with that name. Oh, and, certainly, <laughs> and certainly never expected to have people shout it in the street. They're like, it's the ninja. And I'm like, holy cow. So it's, it's, it's very humbling when people know you and, and, you know, you're in an airport and somebody walks up and asks you to sign your book. You're like, that's just, you know, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> How did this happen? But no, it's, it's great to hear that. I mean, and it's one of those things that I hope you trademark the safety ninja right away. The, the moment you got it. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been super cool. And what's really funny is like, if people know me as the ninja and then they hear my backstory, they're like, that's the same person. And, and, or they hear me do wife and then I do ninja, which is a lot of, a lot of jokes and a lot of fun and a lot of interaction. And they're like, wow, you're you still, but that's a completely different offering. And I'm like, Hey, you know, who in the safety industry doesn't have to be flexible and pivot quickly in their jobs, you know? That the fact that I have several different specialties is, is proof that we're kind of we're kind of best that way. So how does it look upon the people that knew you 30 years ago before you started doing the messaging and all of a sudden now 
the safety ninjas here and all of a sudden how do they do the comparison what have they told you they, what's happened over this period of time you know I had such an awesome experience I was delivering it in front of uh, the ASSP's Region 6 uh, meeting uh, three years ago and uh, one of my college professors was there and uh, so whoever on the meeting committee was ready to do the introduction of me and my former college professor she just shoves him aside and she goes I've been waiting 30 years to introduce this woman and I was, I, it gives me, I'm, I got chills just a second saying it. I was like, holy cow. And she's like, I remember you then. I remember both the pain, you know, it had only been a couple of years, but the passion and the drive at the same time. And I'm like, I don't remember it. Tell me because, you know, I was living it. So you can't, you can't look back in the same manner. And, uh, and yeah, so that was, that was super cool. And when, when people come up and say, you were always driven and I go, I was. And so, you know, I think, I think as we grow as professionals, as we grow as human beings, uh, I think opportunities for change and shift occur. And, and I talk about that a lot when I talk about Wife Left Behind. I'm like, you know, who are you? Who do you want to be in the profession, out of the profession? You know, are you are you stuck somewhere? You know, are you in the right place? Do you have a game plan to be the best safety professional you can be? Because it's a super hard job. People people sometimes don't even like us. It's crazy. And uh, <laughs> I don't well, understand. Don't get, there, there's a good chunk of people inside of organizations that normally don't like the safety people. I'm like, <laughs> I know, I'm like, this is completely unfair. I'm trying to save your life and you're calling me nasty names. What's up with that and uh, yeah and that, that's never in the brochure when you head off to college you know <laughs> no, here's a great no, job no. opportunity where everyone will hate you later and uh, so so yeah so I think uh, I think the industry we need to support each other more we need to provide uh, more empathy uh, and we need to have more connections to the people that we're trying to protect and the executives we're trying to make money for because I I firmly believe that safety and money go hand in hand. I think great safety will result in a profit center, especially if it's aligned with the other sustainability topics that are out there from, uh, from you know, human resources management, keeping your team to the environment and sustainability. You know, I believe all of those go together and the most progressive organizations that see that have the most effectiveness. And, and so that's one of the things I, I'm trying to show is that, you know, I could have been, you know, the spouse of a victim and could have stayed there. But instead, I've, I've really tried to go, how do we get both? How do I keep them alive and everybody make money? Because, you know, I'm totally okay with everybody being rich. I think it'd be awesome. <laughs> I know, I'd love it for everyone, uh, as long as everybody's safe too. And I think things do go together. It just, uh, it, the savviness and the ability to do that depends on the maturity of the company. So when did you, do, when do you believe that you had that mental shift that you said, this is me. The safety ninja is me. I know that, you know, the child gave you the, the moniker for it, but when did you, you have, I mean, you have to have that moment where it's like, this is me. I wish I could, I could say that there was that epiphany moment, but it was, uh, there was some subtleties. Uh, I think <laughs> this is awesome, but I, I think one of the moments was when I realized that, um, uh, a company out there actually sold rubber duckies that had little ninja costumes on oh, very and, cool. and I purchased them and I started to give them out during class and people went bananas. And I, I was saying to myself, I'm like, come on, Regina, you knew that would happen. That's, that, that's how people are. And, and so I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And so I, you know, I pulled on a lot of the other skills that I had learned over the years. And, 
And, um, you know, it was when it was when someone would send you an email and say, I, I did what you said. I changed the way I was teaching. I changed the way I was developing materials. And, and, and somebody told me, hey, your safety training didn't suck today. And I'm wow. like, how awesome is that? <laughs> the safety training didn't suck today, which obviously they thought it did the day prior. So I was like, all right, head work. And um, I just, I feel like training is, is an essential key for our industry. It is an opportunity to, for us to make a profound impact on the behaviors of workers. You know, we've got them in a room. We've got an opportunity to connect with them as human beings and to, to, to guide them in the right direction. And instead, the safety professional is so overworked. We have so many responsibilities that we are, are unfortunately forced in some cases to default to, you know, some some PowerPoint presentation we found on the internet or, or worse, you know, the PowerPoint presentation the company's been using for the last 10 years. And, you know, the, the person delivers it and they're like, oh, thank God that's over. And the workforce is forced to sit there and they said, thank God that's over. And instead, you know, we should be, we should be in that room. And when people walk out, they go, that was really good. That was awesome. Thanks for the duck or the candy bar or whatever, and, you know, for the humor, for the happiness. And, and so I just, I think that the headway we can make in our industry by getting our training to awesome level Initially, it's just going to be to not sucking. But, you know, once we get to not sucking, we'll keep going forward. But I think it can be. I, I don't think uh, I don't think it is a skill um, solely possessed by the safety training ninja. I've seen plenty of people who are so, so awesome. And it's just a matter of continuing to build it and spread that message all over the world. Now, Regina, if the audience wants to get more information about you, where the work and they go? Oh, there's so many choices. <laughs> so there is the learningfactory.me, which was my main website for my company. But I figured out a while back that no one knew what my company name was. They knew Regina McMichael. So then I got reginamcmichael.com, uh, which is normally uh, where you'll get the focus on my inspirational speaking, my keynoting, and that type of stuff. But of course, when the book came out, I needed safetytrainingninja.com. Uh, and that is where I've got some tips, some tricks, some freebies. There's some things that I reference in the book that you can go and watch online there or download uh, sample documents, uh, some little you know cheat systems and things like that that I talk about in the training and in the books. So, and, uh, you know, I, I always laugh. I'm like, you know, if you can get Regina and safety together, you're going to be able to find me on Google, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, and, uh, but yeah, safety, safety ninja, I don't even know what you're going to get. Safety training ninja, uh, you'll definitely find me pretty quickly. But, uh, you know, it's awesome for the internet. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, recently, uh, relocated to, uh, to Florida and, uh, been going through, um, all that interesting stuff and meeting new people in a new environment. So that's been pretty exciting. And, uh, in, in the midst of it, still traveling all over the place. And don't forget storm occurred right around the same time. For oh the first <laughs> I, I literally, I was like, oh my gosh, I've, I've, I lived there for three weeks. Is my house really going to get ripped to the other side of the United States and luckily it missed but I have very good friends who live next door and they're like okay this is what you got to do and so they were going through the list and this is what you this is what you save and this is what goes here and I, I had a teaching commitment and so I was actually going to pack as much in my car for protection put it in the uh, put it in the airplane uh, parking lot and uh, and hopefully 
have it survive in concrete. And, uh, you know, so all my important documents and things like that, my computers, all that kind of stuff were going in the trunk of my car, hoping for the best. And I was going to have to fly out early so that I wouldn't miss my, my speaking commitment. Well, <laughs> but it all worked. To, absolutely. It's like, I have to keep all my intellectual property just in case something happens. Oh, I know. And it was, and, and it was funny because I changed it, then I changed it again, then I changed it again, and everything ended up being all of the original. Um, but it was, yeah, I, I was like, seriously, it, my house is going to blow away three weeks after I buy it. That's just nuts. And, uh, but it all worked out. It was all good. Well, Regina, I appreciate you coming on to Safety FM. Absolutely. Enjoy the best safety shows on the planet on safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Safety FM.